Good morning, City Light. How are you guys doing this morning? So thankful uh, to be here with you again, another Sunday morning in quarantine, another time uh, to be blessed by the Lord together, even virtually. So, so thankful we can do it this way. And I want to go ahead and start off, we're, we're going to be all over the scriptures today, so you need to get your fingers ready, maybe do some of this, do something, all right, get them ready. Uh, we'll be doing flipping a lot of pages. But I wanted to start off just by saying, uh, just so you kind of know where I'm at and where, you know, my heart is at with everything going on around us, is I have literally, you can ask anybody that knows me over this last week, I have agonized over this message today. I have been talking to everyone from all sorts of different perspectives, thinking about, man, what needs to be said, who needs to be heard, what perspectives need to be given a voice to. And as I'm sure the same as you, just watching everything play out around us is creating a really heavy heart. And you know, that's a lot for me because I'm an Enneagram 7, so I am positive all the time. I'm like super, super positive. And I'm not feeling so much the same way these days. It's heavy. It's a heaviness that's going on. I know you feel the same way. I know you have to. That I'm burdened for us to be a light in this world, for City Light to be a light in this world, spiritually and practically. I'm burdened for people of color who live out this trauma firsthand almost every day. I'm burdened for the good cops who are afraid, who their families are afraid, who are getting unnecessarily uh, talked about and unnecessarily in situations of, of great danger because there's a few bad cops out there. I'm burdened for their situation. I'm burdened for all the families that are suffering from a pandemic. Let us not forget that we are in the middle of a worldwide historical crisis. And we've been helping a lot of families, praise God for your generosity, but you know I've been thinking a lot about all the families that we don't even know about yet. Maybe they had savings for a couple months. Maybe their job just now got taken away as opposed to a few months ago. And it's just heavy. The world around us is heavy. And so as I think about, man, what, what do you say in the midst of that kind of heaviness? What do you say? And so I've just been seeking the Lord and asking him, Lord, like, what would please you? Like, Lord, for real, like, what would please you? What would honor you? How do we live this out? How do we respond? What do we do to be the light in the world? You know, I'm sure just like me, uh, hopefully, especially those of you who are at City Light, you desperately want to make a difference. You want to actually see things change around you, right? Just like you, I want this church to be a place of reconciliation, a refuge for the marginalized and the oppressed, a place where people can feel welcome and loved, a place of unity, a place where people fight for justice and extend a lot of mercy. I want this to be a light in really dark places. I want us to access the supernatural power that we have, to give a supernatural witness to the world of something different, something beautiful, something right, something lovely, something that people look at and say, that's it. There's something true about that. That's what I'm longing in my heart for us. And I know many of you have been thinking the same thing. I know many of you have already been asking me, what do we do? Nate, what do we do? What should I do? And this is a seriously difficult and complex question in light of the different things that are happening around us, in light of all the reasons America has these particular problems that go back hundreds and hundreds of years. This is increasingly difficult to do, and I've just been like, whew, you know, what in the world do we do? 
And I think the Lord has kept reminding me this week and given me a greater conviction that we act like the church. That we do what the church is uniquely empowered and graced to do. We do the very things that God uses us to do to supernaturally change the world around us. That we can look around and we can learn good practice, but you know what we need is supernatural power. We don't just need good practice, helpful tips, next steps. We need supernatural from the Lord, Holy Spirit, revival in people's hearts, transformation through hearts and laws. We need supernatural power. We simply cannot get the job done. We cannot, apart from the grace of God. And this is my burden for us to actually be the church. You know, I've been thinking about if anyone can handle a pandemic, uh, racial injustice, riots, the world burning and falling apart all around us, it's us, it's the church. Who else is uniquely equipped with the power of God himself to handle these things and not only handle them, but be a light in the midst of them? It's us, it's the church. This is exactly what we are here to do is to look at these situations and be a light in those situations, to represent King Jesus, to help people, and to bring about God's kingdom here on earth. The world desperately needs light, and we have it. We have it. We have the answer to what the world needs around us. And therefore, as we get different information from everywhere, as we receive helpful tips and advice about what to do and what's next, and all those things are good, what I have been convicted by more and more is that we don't take our cues from culture, we take commands from Christ. We're not just looking for cues from culture, like here's what you do if you're in the majority culture, here's what you do if you're in the minority culture, here's what you do if you have certain influence here, here, and there, and everywhere. We learn, that's good, we can learn, but we don't take cues from culture, we take commands from Christ, we are the church. And we follow our leader, King Jesus. So in light of that, we're gonna spend the whole month talking about what does it mean to love your neighbor? Just let's understand from the Bible, from King Jesus, what does he expect of his people, the church? What does it mean to love your neighbor spiritually? What does it mean to love your neighbor practically? What does it mean to love your neighbor relationally and emotionally and mentally? What does it mean for us to love our neighbor? And this is going to include, obviously, addressing the current issues like systemic injustice, but also many other things that we face in this society and that we have to confront as a church so that we can love our neighbor well. Because we cannot love our neighbor and dismiss what they're going through. We have to love our neighbor. So these next four weeks, the whole month of June, we're giving to this. And I'm calling you and asking you to join us on this biblical search for us to learn about what does it look like to love your neighbor. So today I'm going to have five steps, okay? They're both spiritual and practical. Five steps for us to love our neighbor well. But before we get into this, uh, I wanted to give you this illustration and this thought to kind of help surround everything that we're talking about, all right? So... Those of you who know what this is already, say it loud and proud in your house, all right? Right here, this is what's called a level, okay? I originally was calling it a leveler, but apparently that's not the case. It's a level, not a leveler, uh, and that shows you exactly how handy I probably am at the house. Uh, this is a level, not a leveler. Okay, great. So uh, you take this, and you know, it's really funny because I saw this sitting uh, somewhere in one of our offices, and I thought, huh, that's a really interesting picture of a, a spiritual thought. And then the Lord was like, yeah, you're gonna use it this week. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, great. So uh, I'm thinking about this leveler. And you know what you have to do to make something level? You probably can't see it, right? The bubble's over here. 
You got to go a little left, a little right, a little left, a little right, a little left, a little right, and to get it there. Boom. You got to go down, you got to go up. You got to constantly adjust. A little left, a little right. And you know what I think the word for many of us is, is we just need to level out. Turn to your neighbor and say, level out. Or turn to your kids and say, level out. Give somebody a high five and say, level out. Level out. Lower, I guess not a high five, an elbow bump, right? Whatever it is, uh, give them that and say, level out. What we need to do is level out. Some of you, right, just need to start with a little compassion. Just to say, before I judge and assess the situation, I'm going to start with compassion. I'm going to have the perspective of empathy and I'm going to level out to have a balanced perspective. Some of you have gotten so off balance and so focused on the present issues surrounding us, you have completely forgotten your walk with Jesus. You need to level out. You need to return to your first love. You can't let that consume you. And some of you have gotten so focused on, uh, on things other than the things that are happening around us, like an ostrich with your head in the sand, and you've neglected not your walk with Jesus, but the way of Jesus. That Jesus is the one who tells us to go after and pursue justice for the marginalized and the oppressed. That Jesus sided with us so often. That this is the way of Jesus, to be a light in the world. So you need to level out. Some of you are so burdened, so burdened by the world around you in a good way. But those burdens are just piling up on, on you. And every day more bad news just makes you, you know. And then you just keep bearing these burdens. And you know what? I want to remind you, this is not your world to save. It's not your job to save the world. Only God can do that. It's your job to play your part. So give your burdens to King Jesus. Take any step that you can. You need to level out. Some of you are relying only on your personal experience to assess the situation around you. And what you need to do is just listen to the perspective of others that are from different places and different backgrounds so that you can level out. Some of you are so focused on judgment and you need to give more mercy. You need to level out. And some of you are so focused on mercy that you forget judgment. You need to level out. Listen, I, I hate to tell you, there's not a single balanced person listening to this right now, including myself. Okay, we're sinners, so therefore we have uneven stuff. We, we, we bias and we think this way and that way. All, every one of us needs to level out. And what I want to tell you is that leveling out is a lifelong experience. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's something we continually have to do day in and day out. So don't get so caught up in what's going on and you rah, 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 and then you forget to implement good daily habitual practices and training of thought and different things going on that can last for the long haul so that you can be a part of bringing about injustice, uh, bringing about justice to injustice five years from now. This is a marathon, not a sprint. So uh, before we dive into this, last Thursday, I decided, I went down to the protest happening right by the Lafayette Park uh, right there next to the White House. And it was a very interesting experience, just driving in, right, everything's boarded up like it's a hurricane season uh, because of the things that have been going on. And I decided to take my oldest son, Jalen, so he's eight, and he's uh, half black, half white. And so this is gonna be the world that he grows up in in many ways. And I was trying to think through how can I train and help him think through these type of experiences. So I just, I decided to go down. I just been thinking all week. I just felt like I had this personal conviction that I think that's where Jesus would be. I kept saying that to people around me. I just think, I just, I'm sure that's where Jesus, if Jesus was in bodily form, like when he came down and he could only choose one particular place to be, 
I think that's where he would be. Because exactly where the brokenness and the pain is being expressed is exactly where Jesus wants to be. I just imagine Jesus roaming the crowds and, and calling out those who are doing the wrong thing and comforting those who have broken hearts and bringing healing and just being this amazing presence in the midst of this chaos, this calm, God-like, God presence in the midst of that. And I just think, I think that's what Jesus would do. I just had this conviction rising up every day. I was like, okay, I need to go down there. I, I, I need to do exactly what Jesus would do. I also, of course, wanted to take some kind of action I wanted to take some kind of step forward. And I knew that if anybody should be present in these situations, it should be Christians. Once again, we are made for this. Light is made for darkness. So in those places, this is exactly where we ought to be. But you know, another reason I went down there on Thursday was so that I could level out. I need to level out too. One of my main goals was I just wanna listen, I wanna learn, I wanna take in the pain of my brothers and sisters, I wanna experience their cries. I want to see what's going on in their hearts. I want to feel it, to sense it, to know it. I want to see all these people from different colors or races gathering together to express one thing. I want to see people really upset and crying about it. I want to see people really mad about it. I want to see people, all these different, I want to be a part, I want to, I want to see what's going on. I want to be a part of what God is doing in this place. I want to learn. I want to listen. I want to be a part of some step of action and most importantly, I want to do what I think Jesus would be doing. And so one thing for you to write down out of that is that if we don't listen with empathy, we cannot move forward in unity. This is so important. And you guys know since we started this church, I talk about unity and alignment all the time. Everything is about unity and alignment. Unity and alignment. How we are doing is more important than where we are going. I say this all the time. Because how we are doing will determine where we go. It will determine what we do. If we don't listen with empathy, then we cannot move forward in unity. And some of us, right, we just, you just need to level out this week with some empathy. Just level out. Listen to the experiences of others. Don't seek to judge whether they're right or wrong. Just listen. Let's just listen with empathy. Let's be a people of empathy. We don't, if we don't have empathy, we can't move forward in unity. And if anything needs to be true right now, it's that the church of Jesus Christ is unified. In a divided world, we need to be united. We need to show what Jesus can do. So, let me give you five next steps. You say, what do we do? I'm going to give you five next steps. They're both spiritual and physical. Remember Isaiah 61, we talk about all the time. Bring good news, bind up broken hearts. You bring and you bind up. You bring and you bind up. Good news, broken hearts. So what we need, as the church and the world needs, is a holistic solution, body and soul, Right? Laws and spiritual laws in the heart. We need a body and soul ministry for body and soul people. We need a holistic solution for a whole problem. So we're going to talk about spiritual and practical next steps. So the first one is to look at Jesus. Please write this down. This is the first step. The more you look at Jesus, the more you will look like Jesus. The more you look like Jesus, the more you will live like Jesus. And what I said earlier, some of you have gotten so focused on what's going on around you, you've forgotten to look at Jesus. And if you don't look at Jesus, you'll have no idea what he would do. You'll have no idea how to live like he would live in these days. We have to look like Jesus because the more you look at him, the more you'll look like him. You'll become like him. And the more you become like him, the more you'll live like him. And we all know Jesus would do the perfect thing in this solution. 
He is the solution. He would do the perfect thing. He would challenge in just the right way. He would comfort in just the right way. He would heal in just the right way. Jesus would do exactly the right thing. And we want to live and move and be like Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to, say it with me, Jesus. Looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Look to Jesus. Hebrews 2, 8, 9. This is one of my favorites. He says, he put everything in subjection under his feet, being Jesus. Then it says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. But get this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, meaning things are out of control. Right, yes and amen, out of control. We don't see things in subjection to him like we would think. They are out of control. But we see him, we see him, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, right, endured the cross, who was made lower than the angels, who's crowned with glory and honor because of suffering the death that we deserve, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So, right, we don't see him, we, we don't see the problem around us, we see Jesus, this is who we look to. This is what we see. And so some of you are so focused on the problem, you've forgotten that the world is going to look out of control. Where you're supposed to look is at him. We see him. Listen, let me say some of y'all scrollers, okay? I'm going to talk to you Twitter, Instagram users, which is 95.9% of people listening. You can stay informed on social media. Hear me but you must stay in love with Jesus. You can stay informed, yes and amen, but you must stay in love with Jesus. Your primary thing, no matter what's going on around you, is to stay connected to Jesus. Write this down. Love of God is the starting point for love of neighbor. We know this, Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot, you cannot love your neighbor rightly in the way that God would want you to. The spirit, what does God think loving your neighbor looks like unless you love God first and most. We have to love God first and most. That's where loving our neighbor starts. So if we attempt to go show love to our neighbor without fixing our eyes on Jesus, then we're going to do the love to the neighbor wrong. We're not going to do it in the way that God would intend because our heart's going to be out of order. So we need to pursue our love for God. Let us not forget, always, the primary goal of being a Christ follower is to bring glory to Jesus, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you eat, drink, whatever you do, right, whatever injustice you fight, whatever conversations you have, Whatever blogs you write, whatever posts you post, do it all, you know this, to the glory of God. The most important thing ever is that Jesus is supposed to be exalted, loved, worshipped, praised. This is always our first goal in all things. Every knee, white, brown, black, is going to bow to Jesus. Every knee. Jesus is it. Jesus is where it is at. We seek to praise, honor, revere, and worship Jesus. And if anything going on has taken your focus off of that, then we're out of order. You need to level out. We need to level out. So are you giving more attention to the news or are you giving more attention to Jesus? 
Are you reading more Instagram posts or Bible verses? Let me, let me tell you something. Write this down. Don't let your faith, and this is not just now, but this is always. Don't let your faith be directed by your feed, your social media feed. Don't let that tell you about your faith. Let your feed, what you're learning, be directed by your faith. Your faith speaks into your feed. Your feed does not speak into your faith. Your faith is the leader of the information that you bring in, of the things that you learn and see. So let your faith lead your feed and lead your life. So Jesus is the Savior. Remember, the gospel is the solution for life transformation. Now, before I, we're not going to stay all spiritual, okay? Spiritual is the most important, and we're doing that. And I'm going to get to some practical, but I want to show you this. Staying focused on Jesus does not ignore the issue. It ignites the solution. It doesn't ignore the issue to say, oh, Nate, you're over-spiritualizing all the systemic racism going around us. It doesn't ignore the issue. Let me hear you. Jesus people, okay? Staying focused on Jesus doesn't ignore the issue. It ignites the solution. Because not only does Jesus have the power to transform a heart, which is what needs to change, but Jesus has the power to give us wisdom for practical application. You should not think that you know exactly what laws to change. You should not think that you know exactly what practices to implement, what conversations to have without the wisdom that comes from Jesus. So not only do we need to look at Jesus so that we keep our priorities with him, we need to look at Jesus because we need changed hearts more than changed laws, even though we desperately need changed laws. We look at Jesus as well because only Jesus has the wisdom that's needed to create real transformation practically in everyday life. We don't know what we're doing. I hope you realize that. We don't know. But Jesus knows. And Jesus cares about your soul, and he wants to save you, and he cares about your body. And he's doing everything he can through common grace in this world to implement the best laws that will help in the best way, even in the midst of the terrible sin going on around us. So look at Jesus, number one. Number two is share the gospel. This is a direct implication from the first one, is share the gospel. Listen to me. If you care about racism, you should share the gospel. If you care about justice, you should share the gospel. If you care about change, you should share the gospel. And hear me, I'm not neglecting all the, the laws and things that need to change, of course. But let's not get things twisted. If things are going to really change in people's hearts... If real things are going to happen, Jesus is the one who's going to do them. We need to share the gospel. The greatest problem any of us have is our rebellion against God. And the greatest thing any human being can do is repent and have a new relationship with him. And the greatest way that you're going to bring about change in the world is to share the gospel. And some of you haven't thought, you've over-spiritualized sharing the gospel as to just soul work, which, praise God, that's what it is. But now you forget social change that happens around you when a group of people become changed by God himself and they begin to make laws and they begin to police cities and they begin to do these things. That group of people are going to do things differently. They're going to do things in the right way. We must share the gospel urgently, rapidly, with energy and zeal, knowing that the greatest problem is sin and knowing that the most practical help is going to come about from life change through the power of Jesus. We must share the gospel. And I would dare to say that the, the, the amount that you share the gospel is going to tell you the amount that you actually care about the world around you. That's probably a good parameter for not only whether we care about souls, but whether you care about the world at all. 
we must be a people who share the gospel. So are you talking more about the issue than the solution, being in Jesus? Then you need to level out. You need to level out. The third thing we need to do is pray. And you're like, Nate, these are all the pastor answers. And yes, they are, because I'm your pastor, and this is what pastors are supposed to say. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. And some of you, you let all those Twitter people who are like thoughts and prayers, keep your thoughts and prayers. Those are worthless. Well, if you ever say thoughts and prayers, people just bash it. They're like, get rid of your thoughts and prayers. I don't want your thoughts and prayers. And somehow we've let that seep in to think as if prayer isn't actually doing something. Prayer is kicking a ball. Prayer is hitting a ham. Prayer is moving. It does things. I should go over there and just kick one of them and say, prayer does things. It moves. It creates. It changes. It changes cities. It changes countries. It changes laws. It changes people. It changes hearts. It changes reality. Prayer changes things. Come on. If we don't believe that, we might as well close up shop. We're the church. We believe that prayer is a way forward. Praying is not just an option, it's the option. It is the thing we must do to bring about healing in our nation and healing in people's hearts and to comfort those who mourn around us and to bring about true change. We need to pray. And if you are talking about this more than you're praying about it, you need to say it with me, level out. You need to level out. Prayer is not an option, it's the option. You know the first prayer we should all pray? is one of repentance. You know where we start is with that internal check. Search my heart, oh God. See if there is any wicked way in me. Reveal that to me, right? And lead me into the way everlasting. We need to check our own heart for our own biases. We need to repent before the Lord, all of us, for the way we view and speak about other people. This requires great humility, but what does God say? He gives grace to the humble. And he rejects the proud. So if we as a church are proud and thinking we know what to do and the next thing's to take and our perspective is always right, then we know what we're going to get, rejection. But if we humble ourselves and say we have bias, we have sin, we have prejudice, we say the wrong things, we think the wrong things, we're selfish, we don't care about other people like we should, we don't put our neck on the line like we should, and we need to repent. And who else is going to repent if it's not the church? Come on. Who's going to receive the grace of God that comes through repentance if it's not us? We need God's grace. We need his help. We need his power. And you know, he says that comes to the humble. You know what the humble do? They repent a lot. And I'm with you. Me too, okay? We all, all of us need to repent. We need to pray because, once again, we're the church. Remember, this battle is not flesh and blood, Ephesians 6. 2 Corinthians 10 teaches us that our best weapons are not, spirit, are, are not physical, they're spiritual. Listen to me. This is a spiritual war that has physical symptoms. We need to pick up spiritual battles. We need to pick up spiritual warfare. We need to pick up spiritual armor. You know who can do that? The church. Who else? Who else has access to spiritual weapons than God's people who are dwelled by the Spirit of God? We need to pray because the battle is not won on the physical battlefield we can see, primarily. We need to pray because the battle is primarily won on a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare with spiritual weapons. And nobody, hear me, in the world can take up spiritual weapons except those who have the Spirit of God. So who's going to fight this fight on spiritual ground if we don't do it? We're the church. 
So in light of that, we're doing a couple things. Uh, there's a prayer vigil in the city downtown that we're working with local organizations and churches to do together, hopefully very soon. I just want to put that on your radar. The, the time and the location is TBD, but we're currently working with other places, nonprofits, and churches to be able to come together and to pray in the city, for our city. And then next Wednesday here at our church, at this location on Graham Road, uh, we're going to pray and serve together. So every Wednesday night, we normally serve and we go deliver goods. We're going to continue to do that. But from 530 to 7, we're going to have a time of prayer that you can come in and out of. You can come pray for a little bit and then take your bag and deliver it to your, the person's home who needs it and then go back home. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for our city. We're going to pray for our own hearts. We're going to pray for the lost. We're going to pray for justice. We're going to come together and pray because that's what God's people do. And we're going to do it safely as best we can. And so you can come join us 530 to 7. You can stay in your car or you can get out outside and maintain social distance. And we're going to pray together. So please join us. We're the church. We need to pick up our spiritual weapons. So those are the three. Hey, we're the church. This is what the church does. We don't need to step away from this because it's not practical enough. We need to step into it because that's really what's going to change the world. But now let me give you two more practical, more day-to-day -day type of things that we also need to do. Because remember, bring good news, Isaiah 61, and bind up broken hearts. Right? It's a body and soul. So those things that we're doing, we're doing soul and body work, right? We need to change hearts. We need to change laws. These are all these things that need to happen simultaneously together. So two things for you practically. This is our fourth next step is you need and I need to take responsibility. Now look at your kids and say, you need to take responsibility. I know you've been dying to say that, all that, right? Your wife needs to look at your husband and say, you need to take responsibility. Okay, when are you going to put up that picture frame? You need to take responsibility. You need to take responsibility, okay? Take responsibility. You guys all know this, maybe, most of you know the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, right? And Jesus is explaining, and we're going to look at the Good Samaritan multiple times over this month. Jesus is explaining, what does it look like to love your neighbor? And the guy goes, who's my neighbor, you know? And then Jesus gives a story of a man who gets beat up. He's laying on the side of the road. And two religious people pass him, Pharisee uh, and a, a Levite, they pass him, and they look at him, and they keep walking as if nothing was happening. They ignore him. The third guy comes, who's a Samaritan, which is an insult to the Jewish people that they would not do it, and the Samaritan would do it. And he helps him. And the whole point is your neighbor is anyone who's in need. That's your neighbor. Your neighbor is everyone. You need to take responsibility. Listen to me, please. You cannot look the other way. You cannot. To walk by, to watch the news, to see your social media feeds, to know about all the pain, and to say, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to keep on walking. That's literally what the story in Luke 10 is about. We see brokenness and pain within our church and our brothers and sisters. We see brokenness and pain in our community. We see brokenness and pain all around us. And God says that you and I, as the church and as individuals in Jesus, need to take responsibility. You need to take responsibility. Think about this. When your car breaks down, right, you stop whatever you're doing to fix it. Why? Because it's your car. You feel responsibility for it. Actually, you can't do the rest of your day without it. Let me tell you something. When you feel responsibility, you will find a solution. When you feel responsibility... Right, you will find a solution. If it's your thing to take care of, you will work to find a solution. You will do whatever you can to find a solution. Whatever solution you can bring about, you will do. 
right? So if your car breaks down, you take care of it. Now, in the Christian worldview, the way we should think about loving our neighbor is when we see somebody else's car break down, and they're like signaling for help, you know, then we think, oh, maybe I should help them. I should go over there. We should love them. We should take care of them as well instead of just driving by. This is the same idea here that we see other cars and lives broken down. We simply cannot keep driving along and act like it's not our problem, even if it doesn't direct us effectively in the way that it is so many other people. When you feel responsibility, you will find a solution. When you feel responsibility, you will find a solution. When you feel responsibility, you will find a solution. You need to take responsibility. So the way you take responsibility is to leverage your influence. Listen to me. Do whatever you can wherever you are. This is a team effort. Leverage your influence. Do whatever you can wherever you are. You're an educator, and you know how systemic injustice plays out within the school system, and you have any power whatsoever within your classroom or within the county to help make the right changes, then you do that. If you're a lawyer or you're into politics and you have the ability to influence change at that level, then you do that. If you're having conversations at the dinner table with people that aren't quite getting it yet, then you do that. If you see somebody treating somebody in a way they should not be treated, then you step into that. Do what you can where you can. I think so many times we get so caught up in everything that needs to change. And let me tell you, that's super complicated. And you know what's going to happen is you're going to make a decision, you're going to make a decision, you're, you, 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 you. We're all going to make decisions in our conversations with people around us in our spheres of influence. We're going to make decisions at our workplace and the way people are treated there, who gets hired, things that happen there. We're going to make decisions around us. Some of you are cops, and you have the very ability within the system of being a cop to influence that in the right direction. So here's what I'm saying, that all of us, if we as the church together decide we are the solution, then you and all your spheres of influence take responsibility and begin to leverage your influence. Do whatever you can, wherever you can do it. This is a way forward. This is a path for us forward. There are some things we can do as a church, as a whole, and things we can strategize on that big picture level. And we're going to do those to the best of our ability. We're going to build bridges. We're going to do what we can to make a difference. But the way we're really going to make a difference is if you feel responsibility and find a solution as a cop, as a teacher, as an educator, as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a mother, as a father, as a neighbor, as a friend. Do whatever you can and do it wherever you can. Build bridges, create systems, change laws, fight for equality, do what you can do. Feel responsibility and find a solution. So let me tell you, if you feel carefree on this, because it doesn't directly affect your life, I'm asking you first to repent, but then to level out. I want you to feel some sense of personal responsibility to make a difference in the world around you. Okay, take responsibility. Finally... The fifth step is get proximity, get proximity. I wrote down a few stories here. I don't have time to tell them all, but just give you some idea. Uh, here's a little sentence for you to write down, that proximity creates empathy. And remember in the beginning, if we don't have empathy, we can't move forward in unity. And you know how you get empathy? Proximity. The reason why some of you don't think it's that big of a deal is probably because you don't have close relationships with people that think it's a big deal. I'll be honest with you, that's probably why. And so now we got to think, hey, that might be a problem, but hey, I can take some steps to create proximity. Because proximity is what's going to create empathy. Just let me give you a few scripture examples here. Right, Jesus and the woman at the well, right? She's a Samaritan, right? He's a Jew. She's a woman, and she has a bad reputation. 
for the way that she lives her life. She's an outcast, not only from the Jews, but in her own people. Jesus does what nobody would have ever done. He gets proximity. He goes up to her at the well, and he sits next to her, and he begins to have a conversation. You know what that proximity does? It creates empathy. And you know what his disciples slowly learn to do? Slowly, like we do, slowly. They learn to create, get proximity to create empathy. Think about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is in a tree. What does Jesus do? He calls him down and he goes to his house. He sits in his house, eats his food. You know what that does? You know what, Zac you know what Zacchaeus was? He was a tax collector. You know who hated tax collectors? Jewish people. They were the betrayers. They were Jewish by, ethnic, by, by their ethnicity, but they, they ruled for the Romans. So they were this, this betrayal of betrayals to say, you are one of us, but you are acting against us. So they hated the tax collectors. You know what Jesus does to create empathy? Empathy for a tax collector? You know what some of us want to do is say, yeah, that guy's an idiot. Yeah, he shouldn't be doing that. He should change. You know how Jesus creates change? He starts with empathy, compassion, proximity. So I just want to encourage you in your daily life, in your spheres of influence, that proximity creates empathy. And even from my own life, uh, I, I grew up in Alabama, uh, and I didn't do an international mission trip until I was like 18 or 19, so I was in college. And then I started doing a bunch of them. And you know, my worldview and my world just changed and opened up when I'm like sitting in these different places all over the world. And now in my own heart, far from being perfect in it, it's created a ton of empathy for people from other cultures and other worldviews and ways of thinking simply because I've been around it for a long time now. And it's just that proximity, it's just that proximity that creates empathy. So I'm just asking so many of you as a practical next step to get proximity to those that are of color that you don't necessarily have relationships with, to get proximity with the marginalized and the poor, to get proximity with those who are oppressed. You know, one of the reasons I went down to the, the, the protest was simply proximity. You know what I walked away from that? I, mean, I was just praying, for these, praying, praying, praying that the Lord would do something. There was a level of empathy that came out of that moment with them that I didn't have before I got there. And then being there and just seeing it, just Lord just broke my heart and say, by proximity is what created empathy. So I'm asking many of you to go and get proximity. Get proximity. Let me tell you something. You cannot love what you don't know. And you cannot enter in to what you do not understand. We have to enter in first before we say a word about it. We have to enter in. You cannot love what you don't know, so get to know. You cannot enter into something that you don't understand, so start learning and understand. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. Let's level out. Let's seek Jesus and look to him. Let's share the gospel because that's what changes hearts and lives. Let's pray because pray moves the ball forward. It changes things. Let's get proximity and let's take responsibility. And let's do all of this in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, because one day every knee will bow at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we just ask for your help. We ask for you to work in and through this time in your word. We ask for you to work in and through this body at City Light. We thank you so much for the people you've brought to us here. What an amazing group of people to go be the light. Just pray that you would challenge all of us, that we would walk in the, the steps that you have called us to walk in, that you would give us empathy and unity, and that you would help us to be a part of the change you want to see in the world to love our neighbor as ourselves.
So, Lord, we commit this church to you as always. We ask that you would use us and give us wisdom moving forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.